0: Welcome to God's Planning, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic.
1: Welcome to God's Planning. I am Father Gregory Pine, and I'm joined here by Father Patrick Briscoe, chiming in from Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, So, Providence is entering into its long eight month season, known affectionately as winter, alternately known as hell. Uh, How are things up there in Providence, Father Patrick? Yeah, we're just around the corner from February. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) no, the leaves. Um, you know, the leaves have been more muted this year. And by people who know stuff about this kind of thing, they tell me it's because there was a drought this summer. I was sort of intrigued to find out there was a drought this summer. I mean, Mm -hmm. like I I knew there were. I knew there were big fires in California. That's been something that I've been praying about, actually, seriously. Um, but I did not realize that there was a local drought, and now, now, now it's the talk of now, it's the subject of much discussion. Everyone's talking about, oh, there was a drought. and That's why the leaves have not changed, you know, and is, are not as remarkable in their color. And so I just sort of nod my nod my head as if like I knew something about this. Um, also, not being a New Englander, the leaves are not that important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, however, <laughs> I have, however, embraced iced coffee and I drink it even when it's cold out, um, mm. which upon my arrival in New England, I thought was an insane thing. Um, but it turns out is actually quite pleasant. So, mm.
1: Yeah, Father Father uh, Bonaventure was telling a story when uh, he was working at the chaplaincy at PC a couple of years back. He was the, uh, I don't know, he was the chaplain for one of these Habitat for Humanity um, mission trips, I guess, to New Orleans right? during Christmas sure. break. And Oh, so that's a like... big trip, our NOLA trip. Yeah. Okay, so I guess that the students broke up into two squads. You had the men staying at one place and the women staying at another place, maybe like at a parish or some, whatever. There's somebody's house. But, um, you know, each day they'd go back to the respective houses and then they'd reconvene for mass, I guess, in the morning. Uh, But everyone would go to mass or maybe it wasn't mass. Well, they were keeping the fast. Don't be scandalized. Um, They were going by way of Dunkin' Donuts each morning. And at one point, Father Bonaventure was saying that he and his squad, I think it was with the men, that they showed up at uh, Dunkin' Donuts, you know, a bunch of them, get iced coffee. And uh, the lady there, she's like, you wouldn't wouldn't happen to be part of a, a bigger group, would you? He's like, what do you mean? Uh, he's like, well, we just had a group come in and all of them ordered iced coffees. And uh, we don't really get those orders too terribly frequently. He's like, let me check. So, he texted the other people. They'd been there like eight minutes beforehand. <laughs> uh- <laughs> that's right. So, a characteristic identifier of a New Englander is that you order iced coffee come what may. Regardless of season or setting, it's iced coffee time. Um, yep.
0: It is, however, it is, however, officially pumpkin-flavored season. So, mm. you know, that, that's very nice. It's back
1: <laughs> yes um and if you're chai tea you're just waiting for you know the next season so that way you're back in vogue but don't worry you get nine months of the year pumpkin spice only gets three um i think we might actually post this episode in like december so all of this will be just a, a delightful reminder of what has passed been lost to you but that you can rekindle the flame of in this here nostalgic season of live podcasting with god's planning right. um,
0: more, more time travel
1: that's it yeah we, we specialize <laughs> in time travel uh, so here on this episode, we're uh, doing our best uh, to make sense of suffering, which is a bold claim at the outset. Anyone who, who claims to make sense of suffering probably should be tarred, feathered, beaten, roundly mocked, and then uh, subsequently listened to should you care at that juncture. So we recognize it's, it's a kind of frightful thing, especially for the young, for the inexperienced. But, you know, we approach this mystery with a sense of fear and trembling and with a sense of kind of reverence for your own experience of suffering. Uh, But Father Patrick, I think, you know, the the hope here in this episode is maybe to talk through some ways for people to think well about what they're experiencing. And so as, you know, kind of better to hear the Lord's voice, but maybe just start us off. What are your, what are your thoughts about the theme? Right. Um, I think,
0: I think if we're going to address this question seriously, we have to think metaphysically and we have to make sure that we're thinking metaphysically as Christians. So one of the fundamental Christian claims is that God made the world, the world was good. And then someone broke it it. Um, and if we're not if we're not realizing that the kind of fallenness of life that we're experiencing is ultimately a consequence of sin then we're not accepting the the basic premise of the christian claim about the origins of the universe and its subsequent um and its subsequent brokenness uh gk chesterton is fond of saying right father gregory and here i'm not going to quote him exactly but he's fond of saying uh, that one of the most obvious things that you can see about the world is that there is sin um, and uh, I think that I think this is very true, right? You look around the world and you don't have to you don't have to look far to see signs of of real human suffering and a brokenness. And I think that this Christian metaphysical claim, namely that the world was originally created good and is marred by our sin, is often overlooked. So, for example, when we're having conversations about racial injustice or about um, what what is the source and right path for our body politic or any kind of question where we're asking about what is the best course of action for a society, um, as Christians, we have to approach this with some fear and trembling, recognizing that part of part of what we're part of what we're approaching is um, is is the brokenness of the world and recognizing that uh, that the Lord is going to give us certain graces to to bear and address that.
1: Yeah, no, I think that um, it's good to kind of begin with that distinction between what the Lord's perfect will calls for, and then what the Lord permits. So you know, Saint Thomas dedicates some discussion to parsing this issue. And um, it might seem complicated at the outset, but we can illuminate it with some helpful analogies. So, St. Thomas will say, you know, picture you live in a town. And let's say that town has some lawmakers, it has some judges, it's got, you know, a magistrate. And um, we would say that the, the, the people who are in charge of that town, the governors, that they will the good for all the people who live in it, right? So, they, they, they will the common good of the body politic. So, they want people to enjoy. Sufficient resources you know for their their bodily life for their material life they want to support the family um, they want to secure growth and virtue and tranquility of order, etc all these things but now let's say that like one of the citizens commits a capital offense let's say that he commits a murder and it's proven according to legitimate means and uh, it's maybe he even admits he, he confesses now now what does that magistrate will? For this particular individual well he still wills the common good of the whole polity um but it's also the case that this man needs to be punished right and it's not because the magistrate is vindictive but it's because justice has been disrupted and that justice needs to be restored mm. so on the one hand you want to reform him on the other hand you want to deter other people from doing similar things but on the other hand there's there's a place for punishment and so we would say that his perfect will entails that everyone have equal access to these resources right that they um, have a have a kind of experience of full and fruitful flourishing, but now with this this guy, he's going to go to jail, or you know maybe he is put to death, uh, and so for him it it just looks very very different, and I think that when we talk about the effects of sin in the world, we have to recognize that it's um it's not God's perfect plan for the world, it's not that God set about at the outset saying like let's just jumble things up baby, I'm gonna make a bit of a nightmare for all those people involved, but rather God wants us each to enjoy divine life. But given the fact, you know, taking under consideration the circumstances that we will step outside of that relationship, um, that, that some of us, as a result of which, suffer the effects of sin. But, okay, our minds often go to, wait, am I just suffering for my sins? So what are some ways that we can maybe think better along those lines? Is it, is it that, like, I do a bad thing and then I get punished this much? Or is the world just one big con- cosmic vindication for all of the, you know, terrible things that I've done throughout the course of my life?
0: Right, Um, we saw this question in a very real way. Um, It was being asked very publicly at um, the outset of the coronavirus. Right, people were asking, "Well, what caused it?" Um, And there were better and uh, more nuanced, and worse and less nuanced (laughs) responses to that question. Right, Um, but so at the end of the day, what 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 do what do I want to say? Simply, well, I think that as Christians, we have to say that ultimately, yes, sin is the cause of the coronavirus. Sin is the cause of every disease and suffering we experience, um, because it's not God who causes it in a direct way. Um, God permits it in His in His in His holy will and by the designs of His providence, but He's not the cause of it. Um, it is, however, difficult to say. Well, the fact that um, I overindulged on Easter Sunday, therefore, the coronavirus or what you know you can't point to like a particular a particular action um and therefore derive a particular consequence from it why because only God knows those things and it belongs to it belongs to the heart of the lord to to judge them um so we have to be careful by attributing we have to be careful about attributing direct uh, sins and Im- implying or asserting a causal relationship between the sufferings we're experiencing and um, particular sins um yeah. That was sort of a beginning of a response to what you were asking, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think often in this regard of that passage in John 9 where the Lord and his disciples are passing by the man born blind and his disciples ask, was it because of this man's sins or the sins of his parents? Or his parents, yeah. And the Lord's like, hard to say. He says, you know, for neither, but that the glory of God might be made known in him. So the Lord isn't so much concerned with like being an input, output, bad, you know, like bad move, subsequent punishment machine. That's a really long, multiple hyphenated word mashup so apologies that's completely it translates
0: very well into the german though
1: ah yes uber
0: machinator seen in
1: yeah so it's not like the lord is poised in his heavens just looking down on you know pitiable us and seeing each instance of sin and then devising the perfect punishment that will be communicated in manifest fashion immediately and terribly no that's just like that's not it the lord is about coordinating a work of glory and he's willing to even use our sin so wide is the net of His mercy that He casts upon us. Um, so I think you know, like to think about it in those terms, we can look at these instances of suffering or pain and ask the Lord, you know, what work are You about, or how is it that I can seek Your face in the midst of these trying circumstances? So maybe I've with got, that, oh, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say I think you've got a nice little example um, to end the end the first segment of the show with um you've got this nice little example uh analogy father gregory between the ath- athletic facility and the resort the temptation is des- to desire this life as a resort right um a non covid plagued carnival cruise <laughs> you know, an actual cruise uh, <laughs> before everyone was sick on the boat and stuck on it forever um the uh you know the desire is to the desire of course the natural desire is to avoid any kind of suffering um and to want things to be pleasant uh, and enjoyable um, and to be able to experience um, goodness in all of our senses to excess. We just, we just want that. Uh, and so we can think of the experience of a resort or a cruise or a pleasant vacation or, or, uh, or you know wonderful and pleasant experiences without suffering in our lives that we've had and desire for all of our life to be like that. But it's not like that. Um, so how does that line up with the athletic facility? What's the point there?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's just to say that the Lord is about a work of growing our hearts. So when you think about it, the goal is heaven, right? Not heaven in the sense of like a place where we're going to recline on bark loungers and, you know, like be fed baklava and Turkish delight, but heaven in the sense of like being fully alive, right? Fully engaged Mm -hmm. with the Lord. But in order to be fully alive, we need to be trained up to that point because if we're honest. Our lives are sometimes mediocre and uninspired. And so we need to, you know, grow our appetite for, grow our desire for um, the real and satisfying and engaging life of heaven. So, in that regard, it's helpful to think about the world not so much as a resort, but to think about it more as something like an athletic training facility. So, just as you can think of a marathon runner and how he submits himself to torturous training, so that when it comes time uh, for his you know, like when it comes time for him to deliver on race day, he has been prepared. Um, And, uh, you know, like under that aspect, it makes sense for his coach to push him. I just read a novel, a really delightful novel called Once a Runner. My high school cross country coach had recommended it. And then I'd forgotten about it. And then I was in New York City. Um, And I was just toddling about and I saw one of these books of tables where they're all on sale for like a buck 50. And I was like, dude, I recognize that title. Let's go. Um, But in it, it recounts a a fictitious story of a runner named Quentin Cassidy at some nameless Southern University. And he's a miler. And it it talks about at one point, he he drops out of school and just devotes himself wholly to his training. uh, And he's got an Olympian as a coach. And at one point he's doing repeat quarters, right? So you're running a quarter mile, 400 meters at the pace where you're going to run uh, your, your miles. So you're dropping whatever, 58, 59. So he's, he's cruising along and he does 20 of them. Okay. Which is a lot. It's a lot, a lot, a lot. And at the end of that workout, uh, his, you know, he's toddling off, you know, to his, uh, to his RV or his trailer or whatever. And then his coach doesn't leave the track, the grass track that he's mowed into this big plot out in the woods. And he's like, yeah, Yo, what's, you know, Bruce, what's up, man? And he's like, You want to be, you know, you want to be a champion, right? He's like, yeah. He's like, you're going to, you're going to do it again. Um, And just the way that he describes that, that next round of 20, it's harrowing, harrowing, terrible, terrible, terrible. And then again, he goes to walk off the track after the end of that 20 and Bruce Denton's like, yeah, it's, it's going to happen again. You know, it doesn't matter what time you post for this set, but you have to, you have to slug through. Because he's like, at the end of the day, you're going to know that regardless of who else is on the track with you, that you're the most fit, that you're the toughest, that you've endured this type of thing. And so, you know, it goes through the last 20 reps and they're awful and it's painstaking and he sleeps for like 24 hours afterwards. And it's like his kidneys have been continuously punched by a gorilla. Um, but but he, <laughs> he sees it through. And then when it comes time for him to deliver in the Olympics, he, he can look across the line and know that he's, he's trained the hardest. And he's been made in such a way as to deliver. Uh, When the time comes. And so like, you know, we're in, we're in a race, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And we want to be trained up so that we can live the terribly real life of heaven, because it's far more real than anything we encounter in this world. And so the Lord is going to permit these things to befall and he's going to orchestrate them in such a way that they redound to our growth in the life of grace and to our clinging. um, Yeah, our clinging to him. But I know you love running analogies, uh, you yourself. I was
0: going to say, yeah, all of this is very conceptually uh, familiar, but not particularly in a lived way. <laughs> I walked across campus today. That was pretty impressive, you know, hey, trying not to brag about my 500 steps.
1: That's, hey, that's great work, you know. That's great work. You got to get yourself in a step count war, you know, with somebody else in the chaplaincy. And then, yeah, you can just put your I foot watch down. basketball. Yeah, that's, no, that's huge. That's huge. That's, that's super athletic so great I move from the couch to the fridge <laughs> <laughs> hey, do my well, 12 ounce curls like a self-respecting American <laughs> <laughs> a well-trodden path my friend a well-trodden path um, well, we're about halfway here through this episode uh, of God's Planning, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll catch you on the other side
0: this is God's Planning. Get up to date on
1: all our latest episodes at org slash godsplaining. All right. Welcome back to Godsplaining. Thanks for sticking with us. With Oh, gosh, man. Prepositions today are just tough. Thanks for No, stop it, Gregory. Okay, here we go. Thank you for sticking with us. That's spelled W-I-T-H. That's W-I-T-H. Mm. That's one syllable, the hardest numbers of syllables. Just take it. Nice landing. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, Carrie Strug this. It's like 1996. Um, (laughs) Bingo. All right. So we are talking about making sense of suffering. And in this first half, you know, we just talked about some basic, we we said a kind of metaphysics um, of creation, a metaphysics of suffering so that we would have in mind what the Lord is doing, what the Lord isn't doing, and how we can frame that conversation so as to begin to think more profitably or to begin to think um, more fruitfully. But at this point, uh, we really haven't mentioned the Lord Jesus Christ. And I feel like any conversation of suffering in a Christian setting is is incomplete without mention of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what, what exactly happens on the cross and what do we witness in that supreme act of love, of obedience, but also of suffering? That's right. Um,
0: suffering can only be understood from from the perspective of the cross for Christians. And that's not because God wants us to be masochists, but it's because he wants to sh- show us what it means to uh, to bear the weight of suffering and allow it to manifest his glory. So the French poet Paul Claudel puts it this way. He says that Jesus did not come to explain away suffering or to remove it. He came to fill it with his presence. That's what the Lord shows us with the cross. Um, the desire when we experience suffering... Um, is that it would be easily taken away so that we don 't have to bear it anymore, right as we were talking about athletic training facility versus cruise ship um, duh cruise ship <laughs> <laughs> who's going to choose gym i 'm sorry, but you know you 're just wrong if you choose gym if you 've got cruise ship as the option, I suppose on the cruise ship, there are gyms. I know there are people out there thinking that, but we 're not talking about that right now we 're talking about resort life versus the suffering, <laughs> um, so we want the suffering to go away um, and the reality of the shape of this life is that the Lord in his own example, um, in the manifestation of what he's done for us in the workings of his grace has showed us that his glory is not made manifest by taking suffering away necessarily, but it's uh, allowing, allowing us to enter into it with him. So oftentimes places of great evil and great suffering become places of um, manifest grace of the Lord for this reason because um, Christ is not found in the absence of suffering. He's found there in its myths. So we can think about places of horrific evil, like Auschwitz or Dachau, um, two of the Nazi concentration camps, and understand them to be sacred places because they are also in the midst of that suffering places of incredible glory. Um, The deaths of great saints like Teresa Benedict of the Cross, of um, uh, Maximilian Kolbe, of, of countless others, um, show us uh, show us a kind of Christian heroism in the midst of the camps. Um, so I think that's the first thing to understand that God God does not respond to our suffering by taking it away, um, but He nor does He really give it meaning. The point is not to explain it away, but to find in the midst of suffering Christ.
1: Yeah, no, I think that like when you think about uh, the shape of the incarnation, what's the Lord doing? Right, He's taking to Himself our human nature our whole human nature right so maybe you've had the experience of suffering something and you've suspected that um that experience was foreign to god right that the lord uh not that he couldn't understand it because you know his knowledge is searching but then in a certain way it was um it was embarrassing or shameful uh when one would think of relating it to the lord uh you know as i don't know exactly how to give it adequate expression but i hope that you can yeah, begin to see. Um, but, but when the Lord takes to himself our human nature, he takes all of it, right? So he takes body and soul. He takes you know, a mind. He takes a heart. He takes our, our emotions. He takes the defects that we incur with original sin, right? So he hungers. He thirsts. Uh, he feels pain, right? He, um, he weeps over the loss of his friend or the fate of Jerusalem. Um, he suffers bodily death. So our experience uh, is not foreign to the God-Man. The Lord Jesus has taken it to Himself. He has suffered it, but He's done it in such a way that one, you know, He communicates this this wealth of salvation, uh, but also He bears it up to God. So He draws near to our condition, right? But then He draws our condition into the life of God. Not to say that God changes or anything like that, or to say that that God Himself suffers in His divinity, but that our humanity our suffering humanity finds a home in the Lord. And as a result of which we have the confidence that we can meet the Lord there. So we're not alone, right? We're not left to deal with it according to our own resources, but rather the Lord proves himself generous in uh, kind of like living and moving uh, in us and in our members. Paul gives us the
0: foundation for that interpretation in Colossians. He says in Colossians 124, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, the church. This does not mean that there was something defective in the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, the cross of course is the, is the perfect sacrifice, the once and for all work of our redemption. But it means that, um, through our sufferings, we're able to be united, um, with Christ's mystical body and with the the work of redemption through giving ourselves over to him. Um, father the part the part that we haven't gotten to yet in the episode is that father gregory and i are living this in in a really personal way right now um and his eyes just like open wide because i'm gonna make him talk about his own life uh, and and that's fine and it's beautiful um so uh my my mother has been diagnosed with mantle cell lymphoma um and her particular her particular condition is very serious and we don't know how everything is going to play out for her um right now she's undergoing um a series of treatments at um, Cleveland Clinic, um, and what you recognize is that uh, facing um, facing evil changes the way that um, people are able to love. I mean, if if I have to point to something that I'm that I'm grateful for in the midst of this, it's for seeing um, for seeing the way that the that love and the expression of love in my family has changed. I mean, for my own part, I'm faced with questions like, well. You know how how can I how can I help my mom um, and feeling like nothing nothing I can ever do you know will will alleviate her suffering like that's just a reality that I'm facing but like how can I how can I help her bear it um, how can I love her through it um, and then being moved by the ways that so many people have um, have participated I mean some of it's small right like all the neighbors on my parents' street put green ribbons on their mailboxes um, to to show their love and support for my mom and other things are very beautiful. Um, like the fact that my sister and brother-in-law picked up and moved across the country um, to move back home to uh, to take care of my mom and to be with my parents. Um, so there's a bearing of suffering that, that changes us. Um, and that's part of what the Lord, that's part of what the Lord is doing in the midst of this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, as Father Patrick uh, gave indication, my mother was diagnosed with pancreas cancer. It's probably about 13, 14 months ago now, which is wild because it's something like 82% of folks who are diagnosed with pancreas cancer uh, die within the year. So already to this point, uh, my mom is just soldiering uh, in a way that's pretty impressive. And uh, yeah, I too, like, it's hard to give an answer as to the meaning of suffering in the abstract, right? I think John Paul II says, in Salva oh, yeah. Fici neither Dolaris, of us are interested in that. You know,
0: that's yeah. not and, what the project is.
1: And I, I don't think anyone really is. Um, yeah. I, th- I think often there's a line at the end of Salva Fiji Dolores where St. John Paul II says that it's like Christ does not answer this human questioning about the meaning of suffering once for all or in the abstract. He answers it to the extent that each becomes himself a sharer in the sufferings of Christ. And um, yeah, I think about my mom. I think about my family again, like you mentioned, uh, blessings, both big and small, uh, those have been certainly borne out in the life of uh, yeah, in the life of the pines. Um, I'll often say that you know you know who your friends are uh, by who keeps showing up, and it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. You know, like the church community, my family, you know, like my mom's circle of friends. Uh, they're just a bunch of people that just keep showing up, dedicatedly um, and intentionally, and lovingly, and yeah, just very humbly and unassumingly, and. That's like a serious string of adverbs there, but um, yeah, it's I'm super grateful for it because my you know my whole family's in the area and they're all able to be present. I make it up there maybe like every three or four weeks for an afternoon, and it's great to see them. Um, but yeah, there's there's this kind of communal dimension where you see how the body of Christ functions in time of crisis. Um, but then there's also the very real connection between my mother and the Lord. Um, so you know it's COVID tide, and uh, obviously people with um, compromised immune systems are are duly nervous. But uh, yeah, my mom was going to daily mass up until the day that masses were canceled in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And then she was going to daily mass just as soon as those masses were opened. Uh, Because you see very clearly in in that particular situation what's good, you know, like what's good in life. And for my mom, she loves the Lord and she loves her family. You know, she loves her life. She's not going to throw it away. She's not going to be imprudent uh, or like tempt fate. But, you know, she wants to live. She for sure wants to live, but she wants some things more. Than living, and I think that that suffering kind of brings that into focus. Um, yeah. You know, you think of the example of the martyrs, right? They loved living, they loved serving the Lord. You think about Saint Maximian Kolbe; he was a great missionary, right? He he founded these monasteries in the far east. He had this newspaper with a really wide wide circulation. And he was doing incredible good for the church on earth, but ultimately, it became a matter of showing that the love of Christ compels us, you know, to lay down our lives for those whom the Lord is in pursuit of, and um, Yeah. So you see that there's, yeah, there's just, there's just some things he, he loves more. Um, So you can, you can almost say that it's, it's good in a certain sense that suffering befalls because it shows us, um, you know, all of these really rich and, and meaningful avenues into the goodness of the human person, into the Lord's call to sanctity, into the efficacy of the life of grace, into, you know, like what's good and what's not. And, yeah. That. 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 So
0: I was. I was recently at the anniversary mass celebrating. Um. The celebrating a particular ordination of a, of a priest, and um. I was talking about it some days afterwards with a parishioner uh, at this parish, and the parishioner told me, Yeah, what I realized in hearing about the life of this priest, um, because his life was presented. Uh, by the homilist and his virtues were extolled and the accounts of much of what he has accomplished was was revealed in a, in a very powerful and beautiful way. But the parishioner said, yeah, I realized um part of what makes his preaching so effective is that he is that he has suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a way in which um to to bear that suffering well um transforms hearts and people see it in you. You know, this person was saying, I hear the message of Christ, I hear the gospel through this man. Because he has been more conformed to him by by what he has experienced, by the nature of his suffering.
1: Um, yeah. I think as Leon Blois says, something to the effect of like, there are parts of the human heart that do not exist until such time as suffering makes them to be, or suffering opens them up. Um, and you can see that, you know, like in certain people's lives, you get the distinct impression that they're very much trained on avoiding suffering. And though they might, you know, experience quite a good deal of positive emotion and They might free themselves from a variety of worries or anxieties you get the you get the impression that their lives have been contracted that they have been narrowed uh, that they are not as embracing as they could be because when you see sacrifice it could be something kind of daily and regular like the sacrifice of bringing a child into the world and recognizing that this small human being is going to forbid you to sleep through the night for a significant number of months on end. And then is going to be an infinite sea of needs until such time as they get sassy. And then they're just going to be like psychological torture and then dot, 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 you know, like kids are great, but kids also require a lot from you. But if one is not willing to make that sacrifice, if one says, you know, let's, let's go without kids, you can see how that, that introduces a kind of strangeness into a relationship. But when one is broken open to the prospect of, of difficult goods, arduous goods, but goods which will wound uh, just in so much as they heal, Um, Then the happiness that that is afforded by those choices proves infinitely richer and more subtle and textured. Um, So yeah, it's this way. You know, like you say, the the man's preaching was good because he had suffered. I think that's just that's just true of the virtuous life. That there are certain things that are called forth. Certainly, humility. I mean, like you think about kind of like mm-hmm. young priests, these pimple-faced punk kids that we are, you know, like what, what, I mean, you can't, you can't think, <laughs> like, what do both. you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just yeah. impossible. But once you've been ground down, you know, once you've like suffered sports injuries and have come up against your own mortality and have lost people whom you love and have experienced, you know, failure in ministry and have been humbled in your own limitations, then, then, okay, let's talk, you know, let's talk about humility, but that's not possible. You know, it seems, the way the world's set up without suffering. And would that it were otherwise, gosh, would that it were otherwise. But praise God that it is as it is. That's right. I want to say a word of hope as we wrap up here. Yeah. Uh, the
0: uh, we, We've been talking a lot about the cross, um, which uh, I know it can seem cliche, but is absolutely essential to remember that the cross is not the end of the Christian story. In the, in the Christian story, uh, Good Friday is followed by Easter Sunday. And that, um, for Christians suffering is never the end. Uh, we know that because of the victory of Christ, something more is being promised to us. And that's real. That's not just like uh, is some kind of empty optimism. That's the kind of thing that can bear the weight of our hearts. And that is worth, uh, to use a phrase, Father Gregory likes, that's something that can bear the weight of our hearts. That's something that, that's place where we can hang our hat, something we can lean into something that is worth, um, worth directing the horizon of our life. So the Lord, by the example of his suffering, gives us courage and hope because he shows us, um, he shows us what it leads to, that it's not an empty thing, um, that it's not just something awful born, but that it's born because, uh, because it leads us to, to the glory of the resurrection, the glory of life with him.
1: Yeah. And I think that, yeah, just maybe a final word on heaven. That will be uh, part of the joy of heaven. We'll be looking at your life and knowing why. In the sense that you'll you'll have an appreciation for why the lord permitted certain evils to befall because you'll see the goods that arose uh, by by virtue of those things Uh, you'll be able to reconcile you know god's justice and his mercy in your own life and you'll be able to kind of appreciate how all of it conduces unto the praise of his glory all of it conduces unto the good Um, and we get a foretaste of that heavenly experience now in the life of prayer because if you ask the lord like what's this about you might not get a straightforward answer but you get him, you know, you get the Lord. Uh, and that's enough. That's enough to bear it, not merely only to bear it, but that's enough to bear it well. So God is good. He is loving. He permits us to suffer, but unto the praise of his glory and our own salvation. Um, so I think with that, yeah, amen. With that, we're going to wind things up. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us on this episode of God's planning. We pray that the Lord, uh, alleviates your sufferings and that he shines a light as to the reason for which, and that in your own prayer, you might seek his face always um, and draw richly from the sources of his grace. So our prayers are for you. Please pray for us. Please pray for our mothers too. We ask that their names are uh, Mary and Regina. Um, so if you pray for them and uh, we'll catch you next time on God's plane
0: Thanks for listening to God's Plan a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.